Uh, good morning. Okay, it's great uh, to be here. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. Oh, hello up there as well. Wow. It's, it's to try and get to see my bald patch. Is it? Okay. I'm just going to keep like that, if that's okay. Um, anyway, no, it's really, really uh, great for me to be here. So thank you for the welcome. For those of you who have been around over um, this weekend, uh, thank you for welcoming um, me in. I, th- I guess it was um, uh, through Paul uh, and Julie John that I've been invited for this weekend. Uh, I knew them. It's heading towards 20-some-odd years ago, isn't it, uh, when we first met. And that was when Paul and Julie were living in the holy town of God in Ipswich. And um, uh, yeah, that's right. Thank you for whoever applauded just then. It's great. (laughs) So um, no, I'm really, really grateful uh, to be here. Um, Oh, look at that. That's up here. Fantastic. You see, you have some blooming brilliant tech people. You do. Can you just say thank you to them? Thank you very much, guys. Great. Before before Jesus um, went into that... um, horrendous time when he was arrested. Uh, He was with his disciples, and one of the things which uh, he said to his disciples were uh, these words. He said this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So what I want to do this morning is just to think a little bit about those words and linking it with the reading that we've had um, already this morning. And can I just say that if, there is, um, if there's any of you here who are either uh, relatively new to church or that you've come because a friend has invited you, you um, I know on behalf of the church you are so welcome here. Uh, and if you're wondering why Christians kind of get worked up and they want to keep sharing their faith, I hope that something of today will just help you to give a bit of insight as to why we feel this is so important that we have a message which is so full of hope. Now, I love hearing stories. I do. I I love hearing stories and telling stories. And when I was young, um, I grew up going along to church, and so always the best speakers were speakers who would tell stories in their talks. And um, I remember hearing um, uh, this story, that it was on the 2nd of January, 1956, that a 29-year-old man, his name was Jim Elliott, and four of his friends would fly into the dangerous and uncivilized um, Indian tribe called the Alkas. Uh, And it was no doubt for them that God had sent them, that they had this call, that this is what God was sending them to do. As a child, Jim Elliott had grown up and uh, he'd gone to church, and his parents would always um, invite the missionaries who came back to the church uh, to their house for lunch. And so Jim Elliott would sit and would listen to their stories, and there was something in him that thought, I just want to be like them. I guess he had quite an adventurous uh, spirit about himself. And so when he got to the age of 25, he flew out to Quito in Ecuador, and he started to learn Spanish, and um, he became a missionary, and he worked with this Indian tribe to start with, and he saw loads of these um, Indians become Christians, but there was this group that he was desperate to be able to reach, and they were known as the Alcas, Uh, and they were a hostile Uh, They were a dangerous tribe. An oil company had tried to do some drilling near to where the Alka Indians lived, and a whole load of those um, oil company staff had been killed by the Alka Indians. And Jim Elliott knew that if he could get them to know Jesus, that would turn the whole situation uh, around. 
And so he and his four friends started to plan how they were going to reach this group, this tribe of people called the Alka Indians. And so what they decided to do was that a guy called Nate, um, uh, who was a pilot, uh, that they would fly over this area where the Alkas lived, and they would drop buckets. And in those buckets, they would have gifts and goodies. And so that whenever the Alkas saw this plane, they would associate it with something good or nice or something of benefit to them. And what they did was they attached speakers to the planes, and so they would then speak out friendly words in their dialect, in their language. So whenever the plane flew over, they would get gifts, and they would hear friendly messages from it. And so on the 2nd of January, 1956, the missionaries were flown in one by one. They'd found a beach where they could land this um, little plane. Let me just um, put, this is uh, Jim Elliott here. And they um, arrived, they, they built a tree house for them to be able to stay in, to, um, for them to be able to be safe, because they weren't sure um, uh, how the Alcas would respond to them. And after four days, an Alka man and two women appeared, and they were so excited. And so they, they cooked a meal, and, uh, and then they got these two or these three people into the plane and they fl flew them around so they could see. And when they landed, they said, go and tell the rest of the tribe. Go and tell, invite them to come and to see us. And so the man and these two ladies went off and they heard nothing for six days. And so they just waited around and waited around, hoping that the Alka people would come. And six days later, two Alka women walked out of the jungle. And Jim and another guy called Pete just jumped excitedly into this river. And they waded towards these um, two women. And as they got closer, they realized that these two women were not demonstrating kind of friendly vibes. And all of a sudden, they'd been surrounded by the Alka Indians with their spears. And within seconds, the Alka warriors had killed every one of those missionaries. Here they are. Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott. The United States search team, because they'd been in radio contact and suddenly the radio contact had finished, um, uh, they sent out a search team to find them uh, and they found the bodies just washed up um, on the side. And obviously the families had to be told of what had happened. Do you know what? Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, which is Jim Elliot's wife, their daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint, which is Nate Saint's sister, moved into the Alka village. And many of the Alkas became Christians. And the killings have stopped. Uh, they are now a friendly tribe. They've changed their names because they don't want to be associated with who they were. And the missionaries, including Nate Saint's son and family, do you know what? They are still living with that tribe today. See, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I think that is such a powerful story.
such a powerful, it's inspiring, it is full of courage, it's full of sacrifice. And then you read that verse there, and you think, blimey, is that what Jesus is calling me to? As he sent, as the Father sent Jesus, is, is, is that what he's doing? Is he sending us like that? Because somehow that story, although inspirational, seems so far away from me living in Mendlesham in Suffolk. But as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I am sending you. So my question, and a question which I think a lot of people live with, is this. Is it only a few people, like Jim Elliot, who are sent by God? Is it for special Christians? You know, the adventurous ones, or the very holy ones, the ones who have really got life sorted. Does it have to involve getting on a plane and flying abroad? And if so... Is it the same old, same old for the rest of us? You know, um, we can send them off, we can give money to them, we can pray for them, and uh, they can have the exciting time, and we'll just have to listen to the stories back at home. Well, do you know what? That is not the case according to Jesus. See, there is an adventure out there for every single one of us, if we're willing to accept his mission. Why? Because we can all live sent. And what I want to do is I just want to spend the next few minutes learning from an account in Jesus' life that took place and was recorded by Matthew. We've already heard it, but I'm going to go back just a few verses um, uh, to start with. When he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers. And Jesus called the 12 of his followers and sent them into the right fields. I just think that's hilarious. You've missed the joke, haven't you? You see, the joke is this. Jesus says, pray to the Lord and ask him to send more workers. Now, off you go. You're the ones. That's what he's saying. You're the ones that, well done, God's just answered your prayer. Now you can pray for something else now. Because you just prayed for, the, for, for, for God to send out some people and you're the people, so you are the answer to your own prayer. Here we go, off we go. And he sent them out into the right fields and he gave them the power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. And then he comes on to, we, we, this wasn't included within the reading uh, that we heard earlier. And this is the list of the 12 he sent. Simon, they called him Peter or Rock. Andrew, his brother. James, Zebedee's son. John, uh, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, um, the Canaanite. And Judas Iscariot, who later turned on him. Do you know what? I often wonder, why do they keep blooming lists in the Bible of names? Because that is a little bit boring, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You kind of, there's, there's the exciting part of going out and doing all of this, the healings and that kind of stuff, and then you suddenly get a whole list of names. Why? Why do they include it? I'll tell you why. Well, I think this is why. Because looking at that list there, there are no standout people at all. There are no special ones. There are no holy ones. Just a real mixed bunch of ordinary people. And God chose people who weren't good enough to be chosen by the religious leaders of the day. You see, these people were fishermen. They were because they hadn't hit the grade of being able to become the most respected people in society who were the rabbis of the time. 
And do you know what? I, I have discovered, I've discovered, because I've been leading um, a church now for 26 and a half years, uh, and I have met person after person after person who doesn't feel good enough. Honestly, I have. And I, almost certainly, if I could spend more time with you, I would discover that some of you here don't really feel good enough. You're Christians, you're really pleased that God saved you, but, but, but you just don't feel quite good enough to be able to do what, what, what the guys do on stage. And um, yeah, you could never lead a group. You're not good enough. I think Jesus or, or Matthew chose to include this list because there's a bunch of a whole load of not good enoughs who God was still able to use. It's true. There was um, a, a lady in our church. Her name is Lizzie. And uh, Lizzie wanted to ask, uh, was asking, when is the next Alpha course uh, coming up? Because um, I've got a friend who wants to do Alpha. Uh, and we said, well, actually, the Alpha course is not running for a while. And so we will give you some uh, material. It's another course called Starting Point, And you can do that with your friend. She says, I can't do that with my friend. I says, why not? And she says, well, I, I, I can't do that. She'd ask questions, and I wouldn't know how to answer them. So uh, I'll wait. And I says, no, 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 no. Y you do it with her. You can just meet up one-to-one -one having a coffee. And I'll tell you what, if she asks any questions that you don't know the answers to, text me. All right, are you happy to do that? And she said, uh, uh, reluctantly, she said, yeah, okay, she'll do that. And so she started meeting um, uh, with her friend. Jess, and they started to go through, and she would meet on a Tuesday evening. And at that point, I was part of our music team, our band. And, uh, and so on a Tuesday evening, I would start getting texts saying, meeting with Jess today says you shall not murder, but God seems to murder lots of people. What should I say? The next week, it says that we shouldn't be jealous, and yet the Bible says that God's a jealous God. What should I say? What about other religions? Are they all wrong, or is there some good in some of them? And uh, all of these questions started to come through. And do you know what? It was uh, a few months later, we baptized Jess because Lizzie had gone through and had prayed with her, and she'd seen her friend come to faith. Honestly, she just says, I'm not good enough. And yet God was still able to use her. I think that's why Jesus chose to send these really ordinary, real mixed bag of people, because God can use people who don't feel good enough. Then we're going to go on with this. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands uh, with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. You're saved from the Alcas. It's okay. Jesus said, okay. Uh, and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. In other words, the disciples, where did they start? They started locally. No plane trips, no distant tribe. They were to start local with bruised and hurt lives. It says here within this, to go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Do you know any lost and confused people? Do you know any bruised people? Yeah, some of you are nodding. Great, I'm, I'm glad that some of you know um, uh, some of these people. See, we all know people who have lost direction, lost meaning in life. 
those who are confused and messed up, where relationships have just gone haywire for them, who are desperately searching for meaning and intimacy in one relationship after another relationship after another. You'll know people where alcohol or cannabis are used to just to deaden the lostness that they experience. Of course we do. Because we will live next door to some of them. They'll live down the street from some of us. They'll be part of our workplaces. They'll be all around here, in, around this building here. So imagine if being sent involved your workplace or your local pub or your sports team. We have a lady called Helen. She leads one of our locations um, uh, at, at the Forge. Um, one of our church congregations, and uh, she's a primary school teacher, so she does that part-time, and uh, she uh, is really passionate about Jesus, and so she just prays for uh, the other staff that she works with, and, and um, uh, teaching assistants, and one of her teaching assistants had gone through a marriage breakup, and, uh, and her life was in, in a little bit of a mess, and, uh, and so Helen just talked with her at lunchtime, and would invite her around for coffee, and um, she invited her onto Alpha, uh, and Nikki came to faith, and is part of our church, and is helping with our kids' work at the moment. Why? Because Helen knew that teaching wasn't just what she was there to do. See, if you talk to missionaries, um, missionaries are a strange bunch of people, they are. But if you were to talk to missionaries, you will discover that when they go out somewhere, if they go to some other um, country, nearly always they will go out to teach or they will go out um, to do things towards agriculture or they will um, uh, do some kind of engineering. They will do all the jobs that you just do here. And so you kind of think, so we're giving them money to go and teach in a school there. So what's the difference? Why aren't we giving teachers here? Is any teachers here? Yeah, okay, who would like a bit more money? Because the church could obviously, obviously yeah, that's, there you go, see, it'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? So why do you have to go abroad to be able to get the money? Why can't we just... The reason, the reason that... Um, uh, that they are missionaries. One of the things which sets people apart like that is this. It's their mindset. They have a sent mindset. In other words, they do their job to serve and to benefit the local community, but they do it to build relationships. They do it um, uh, to create opportunities to share something of their faith with others. And so therefore, they will invite people onto Alpha courses or Christianity Explores. They'll invite people around for meals. And they pray for those uh, for, and for all of those that they meet. Why? Because they have a sent mindset. And if you've been on any kind of global trip, you will know what that feels like. Somehow, something changes in your mind. I'm going abroad. I'm going to serve God now. And so all of a sudden, it kind of feels different. But listen... We are called to live as sent people with a sent mindset. So where you work, God is sending you there. Where you live and the people that surround you, they're the people that you're called into because God is sending you there. You don't have to go abroad. Jesus is sending you there today to be his representative in the workplace, to be his representative in your street where you live. And he sends us to bring a message of hope 
to attend to and pray for people's needs and to live generously. Do you know what? In doing so, you will see lives transformed by God. You will. As people come to put their trust in him. You see, what did Jesus say? Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And that includes every one of us here. You know, it's often thought when people work for a church that they're going to be on the front line, and that's great. And so if anyone new starts working here, almost certainly someone will come up onto the stage and we'll pray for them as they start their new job with the church. But then lots of us will start new jobs, but we don't get pulled up onto stage, do we? Because somehow we kind of think that working for the church, well, that's a slightly higher calling. Do you know what? It's not. Mark, can you, can you just um, come up here a sec? Is that all right? Um, that is great. Now, this is a good man. He looks just like me. Um, <laughs> see, the traditional view is, as a church congregation, who should you be praying for? Well, you should be praying for Mark, because he's the leader of this church. So he's going to take this church forward. Uh, and that is great. Please don't stop doing that. If anyone needs prayer, it's him. Now, <laughs> but actually, it's the wrong way around. Because can you stand up, please? Can you just stand up? See, you could reach out your hands and you could now pray for Mark, and that is a great thing to do. But actually, do you mind just turning around? Because actually, this is the model of church. See, who's on the front line now? <laughs> See, it's you lot. And what's Mark's job? Well, he's behind you. And he's behind you in order to equip you and to cheer you on and to say, come on, your sense, the way you're teaching, come on, you share your faith with those that you, you teach with. Uh, and if you're working in an office where someone's going through a tough time, you can turn back again. You're a bit confused, aren't you? You're a bit, little bit lost. This is feeling wrong, isn't it? But, but do you see, this is the role. The role of the church is to be able to equip you so that you, as sent people, can make a difference. And you've got a great man to do that. Mark, thank you very much. Well done. So just remember, it's not this way, it's this way. Because you're on the front line. Just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. What does he go on? Here we go. What should he tell them? What should they tell them? Well, tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. So yeah, get busy with that one, eh? Um, uh, touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Tell them that the kingdom is here. In other words, tell people that God is closer than they can imagine. His peace his rule, his love can be experienced in your life right now. The Messiah is with us. I tell you, it was such a simple, life-changing message for them. And this message has obviously developed that once Jesus died and rose again, and it has become the greatest news that many of us have ever experienced. Why? Because we've experienced hope, and we've experienced forgiveness, and we've experienced God's peace his salvation, his love, this sense of belonging, this experience that when we trust Jesus, who lived, who died, who rose again, it is a life transformational experience that goes on and on. And so Jesus says, just take that message. Take that message. And then he goes on to say this. I love this. When you knock on a door, I'll read it up here. When you knock on a door, be courteous in your greetings. And if they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. And if they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene, shrug your shoulder and be on your way. 
You can be sure that on judgment day, they'll be mighty sorry, but that's no concern of yours. I love this approach. Just says, be gentle. Don't be forceful. Be respectful. Don't be judgmental. If someone doesn't welcome you, if you say, would you like to come to a church event and they say no, don't get in a huff about it. Don't feel all offended. Don't go, well, I'm never going to ask them again. You see, somehow faith sharing has this negative connotation because it's been so done so badly. Honestly, it has. Often it's out of ignorance or it's out of arrogance. And there are times even when I listen to the media today and I hear Christians talk on the media and I think, oh, please shut up. Please shut up. This is just embarrassing. You know, why have Christians been called Bible bashers or the God Squad? Why? It's because we've bashed people. <laughs> we have. We've bashed them with verses that tells them that they're wrong. And again, as I was saying yesterday, you know, if we have a package, that we're, package of truth that we want to dump on people, people don't like that. If you don't believe me, how many people here love it when double-glazed salespeople come at your door and say, can I just spend a few minutes, which is actually two hours or longer, um, uh, sitting down? And no matter what you say, they have their... Who likes that? Come on, who, come on put your hands up. Who, who loves that? Okay, then we have done a great job on the whole as Christians of being double-glazed salesmen. We have, because we've got something which we want to impart to you, and we want you to know this. And we have to be so much gentler. We have to be listening rather than just pushing stuff on people. We get names because there's fire in smoke, isn't there? <laughs> this is why inviting someone to church with a sense of respect and without pressure is so, so good. And they may say no, and that's okay. But some will say yes. And how exciting that is. Jesus goes on, I'm going to... I'm running out of time, running out of time. Oh, I am almost out of time. What is it? Is it five past? Blimey. It's okay, right. Um, I'll talk very quickly from now onwards, okay? I'm going to get through all of this very, very quickly. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack, so don't call attention to yourselves. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Be as cunning as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Do you know what? I've worked on my dad's farm, and I have worked in a church. Uh, at times it feels like I'm a sheep amongst wolves amongst my congregation, but um, on the whole, uh, my work environment is very, very easy. Some of you, your work environment isn't. So you have to take heed of what Jesus uh, is saying here. How do we cope? If it's not safe, how do we cope? Well, he says it. Be as cunning as a snake inoffensive as a dove. Now, I've used the message version here because I love the message version. I just think it speaks plain English. But I'm not sure that Eugene Peterson, who, who put together the message, has used the best word here because cunning um, has the implication of something that's either deceitful or evasive. And Jesus certainly wasn't telling his disciples to be deceitful. So the NIV puts it this way. I'm sending you out amongst sheep amongst wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as ducks. I love that word, shrewd. Shrewd. It's great, isn't it? And shrewd means using smart powers of judgment, being smart or clever in a practical way. Often shrewdness is referred to when there's a difficult path to navigate, and that is what Jesus is saying. 
What Jesus is saying is there is an environment that you find yourselves in as Christians that's going to be hostile at times. And there are going to be people out to get you, out to trick on you, out to discredit you in your faith. And do you know what? Some of you know that because that is your experience within your workplace or within your family who hate it that you're Christians. Some of you have had a tough time at school or at work or in your family. Some of you will have been picked on. And Jesus says, because it's tough, be shrewd in how you live. Be smart and clever in a practical way, demonstrating smart judgment. I want to just, uh, um, I'm going to finish almost with this, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, yes. I'm going to have to, um, but anyway, just in pairs, I want you to do a, I want to do a favor for me. Okay, there is a question that will nearly always come up uh, in, uh, as we talk to people once they know that we're Christians. It's this question here. If God is loving, why does he allow suffering? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I just want you to answer, how would you answer that? If someone said to you, if God is loving, why does he allow suffering? Just very quickly, tell the person next to you how you would answer that. Okay, I'm just going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you just because we are running out of time. So how many talked about kind of a bit of free will, that, that some of the suffering that takes place is because, you know, people choose it? Anyone mention anything of that? Yeah, uh, okay, a few of you. Um, can I just ask the question, how many of you said, well, it depends on the context? Let me introduce you to this lady, this I finish. Her name is Sarah Elliott. Um, she lives sent. She's invited some of her work colleagues um, uh, to church in the past. Uh, she heads up our Guatemala um, uh, mission trips, um, which goes out each year. And she even invited one of her colleagues uh, who doesn't have any faith uh, to go to Guatemala uh, with her. She is an acting detective. She leads a team uh, who deal with section one or two sexual um, offenses. Uh, it's an incredibly tough environment uh, to work in at times, and the pressure within her office can really build when stuff happens. And a little while back, uh, they had a very, very busy caseload that four new serious cases came in in one day, uh, and basically the team cracked. They were so angry. How can there be a God if he allows this stuff to happen, they would shout. Where is he? And they vented for a full 30 minutes in the office. And Sarah's response was she just let them say it and she didn't respond to it at all. She had no truth statement that would have helped at that moment. So she just stayed quiet. Sarah was shrewd. Because imagine Sarah trying to answer those questions in that atmosphere, in that environment where there is that much anger and that much hurt. Honestly, it would have been disastrous. So please, to be shrewd, sometimes we just have to keep our mouths shut. We do. Even when we know the answer. Because giving the right answer can sometimes miss the point of the question. Sometimes people genuinely want to know. Then talk openly, but don't give glib answers. Do you know why God allows suffering? <laughs> then don't pretend that we do. Don't pretend that we do. Just be honest and to say, I live with that question at times too. In fact, when this happened, I lived with that question. It's just to be real, but to find out what fuels their question. Sometimes it's this, it's just a smokescreen. If it's a smokescreen and you're sensing they're just trying to get at you, then honestly be shrewd. Either don't say anything or just say, why do you ask that question?
just go back with another question. Jesus was brilliant when people asked the question of just going back with another one because <laughs> he knew they were just trying to catch him out. I'll tell you, it's going to be hard. Following Jesus isn't easy. Jim Elliott discovered that. You know, before he died, this is what he wrote in his diary. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He knew that following Jesus involved living a sent lifestyle with a sent mentality. And maybe God might well send one, two, a few of you to another nation. How exciting if that's the case. But maybe you will be no more of a missionary than if you stay here teaching or working in your office or living in your street. Why? Well, it's because this. Because we are called to live as sent people with a sent mindset. And honestly, there is no greater adventure. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you modeled something so incredible that even though people who are nothing like you, they liked you and you liked them back. And Lord, that's what we want for our work colleagues who perhaps are nothing like us. But Lord, that they would like us because we're accepting, we're, we're loving, we're peaceful, we, we listen, we're compassionate. Lord, help us to be gentle as we share our faith with others. But give us this sent mindset that we haven't got to go abroad in order to do great things for you. We can do it right here. And help us to grab those opportunities, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.